All right. Good evening. Today is Tuesday, May 10th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is Bill's story, and our speaker tonight is Terry W. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much. And first of all and foremost, I'm so happy to be here and see so many familiar faces. And thank you so much my, for my friends that came to support me tonight. Um, this is really exciting to be here and to talk about Bill's story. Um, I am Terry W. I'm from Massachusetts and I'm a recovered anorexic and bulimic and um, been in this program a long time. And um, I'd like to start off this by just doing a real quick um, set aside prayer. God, please let me set aside everything I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path in you for an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path, and especially you. Amen. So what's really interesting is when I was told I was going to be speaking on Bill's story, I thought about my own story. And typically what I do when I share is I tell about where I was, where I am today, and how I got here. And it made me think, you know, well, what about Bill when he was a child? Like, what do we really know about Bill? Um, so I find it really interesting to learn a few things about him. He was born in 1985 and he lived in Vermont and his parents were William Wilson and he was also an alcoholic. Um, both of his parents abandoned him soon after his sister was born. And what happened was his father went on a business trip, never came back. And his mom went to a university to study medicine. And if I'm correct, I believe she got a degree from Harvard University. So this happened when Bill was 12. So we had a lot of abandonment issues. Um, as he grew up, he was getting in a lot of trouble in school um, and kind of a crazy wild kid until he hit high school. And there he became the captain of the football team. And he was also the violinist in the orchestra, the top violinist, which is interesting. And um, all was going well until um, he was 17, I believe. And his girlfriend at the time, his very first love, her name was Bertha, had passed away during surgery. And this is where Bill's depression started sinking in. That's where it started. Bill met his wife in 1913, and they got engaged two years later. Um, he started at a university, as we read in Bill's story, and he just could not make it through law school because he was totally drunk all the time. Um, he joined the National Guards, and there he was invited to a lot of dinners. We, we read this in the um, first couple pages of Bill's story about him being invited to dinners. And, this is where he had his first drink, which was a beer. And as time went on, it became hard liquor and he kept drinking and drinking and drinking. The war was over. He went back home to live with Lewis. Uh, Lois, and that was in New York that they had their home. And um, he became a stockbroker and he did really well for about a year or so. And then um, they took off on the motorcycle, drove around and until Bill started drinking again, which ruined his reputation. But it's just interesting to think, too, like, you know, Bill and his wife, Lois, went off in a motorcycle. Well, she drove the motorcycle. Like, who knew that, right? It's just kind of interesting to think about. So I just wanted to get a little background on what Bill's childhood was like. Um, not that it affects us today, but a lot of times some people feel it does. So I just thought that'd be interesting. And he was committed to, um, Bill Wilson was committed to the hospital, town hospital. And that was like 1933. And he was there four times. And he was under the care of William Silkworth. And this is where the story begins because um, as I will share, Dr. Silkworth saved my life. 
So to begin with, uh, as I said, I am from Massachusetts. I'm a recovered anorexic bulimic. And, you know, I believe when I was a child, I definitely had a very strange relationship with food. I remember when I was three, I would climb up this little counter in my grandmother's house and eat the baby aspirin, like the whole bottle. And then I, you know, another year soon after that would climb up the same little place and I'd eat a whole bottle of vitamins. It was like 50 of these Flintstone vitamins. And I was, you know, just ate in like massive quantities, even when I was like three or four. And then as I got a little older, I started to eat my toys. Um, and people laugh when I tell them this, but for those of us that are older, there's a Gumby and Pokey figurine it used to be a cartoon. And I had this really large, like 12, 14 inch Gumby. It was on a wire. It was green. It was plastic. And I remember I ate the whole thing. I ate all the plastic, swallowed it. And I remember going up to my mom, going, mom, look, I ate my, I ate my Gumby and I was holding up the wire. So I started off very strange with my relationship with food. And as I grew, I ate massive, massive amounts of food more than my friends, more than my boyfriends. But um, I was a gymnast and I was a professional gymnast. So I never gained the weight that I didn't want to. It was also dieting down to 12% body fat. So that's um, minutes, Terry. pardon? Uh, 15 minutes. Oh, thank you. So I also uh, was a gymnast, so I didn't gain weight from, from there. But, you know, as I got a little older, around the time that um, oh, my grandmother passed away, um, my boyfriend of 16 years was breaking up with me. And I believe that's when my anorexia started. Um, it's always been in me, but I think it was triggered by that time. And I just want to talk about what, what it would be like a day for a day, what it would be like for an anorexic. Um, because a lot of you don't know. Um, so I would get up at five in the morning and I'd call the bakeries and ask for three dozen of those round things, triple dipped, so it'd be nice and hot. Um, after I called the bakeries, I'd have to go for a five-mile walk because I did that every morning. I had to go for a five-mile walk. So I'd bundle up. I think in five years, I missed two days. I'd walk through snowstorms, blizz, everything. And um, so I'd walk for five miles. I'd come home. Um, and, you know, I'd get dizzy a lot, too, because I was 72 pounds at the time. And, you know, I just had, like, sit down on the sidewalk half the time because I was just so dizzy. Um, and I remember... Uh, this is so humiliating. When I used to go for my walks in the morning, I used to have to go to the bathroom. And it was something that I could not stop when I had to go. I took massive amounts of laxatives, boxes and boxes of laxatives. And I, mean, I can't even tell you how many laxatives, laxatives I took. So I'd have to go to the bathroom behind a building or behind a tree. And I'll never forget, um, I was in this pharmacy picking up something. And I just stood there waiting in line. And all of a sudden I just went to the bathroom all over myself. And I'm like standing there, disgusting with feces all over myself. And, you know, this is the way it was because I couldn't control my bowels because I had laxatives. I just ate them like crazy. So not only that, you know, my hygiene was terrible. You know, I didn't take a shower. Um, and so when I got home from my walks, typically on a day, I would touch my stove 15 to 20 times because of my compulsive obsessive behavior. And I would get dressed and get ready for work and walk another half a mile to my job. And I remember I would just cry the whole time, just cry hysterically. Like my life was so dark and lonely. It was just so sad. And I'd go into, um, you know, during the day, I'd get my lunch. I'd go in um, to the place next door, get a sandwich. 
And I would sit and eat it on the stairs. But what I would do is I would put it in my mouth and I would spit it out into a napkin. I wouldn't swallow any of the food. Um, so I was pretending that I was eating my lunch and I was throwing it away afterwards in these napkins so that the people, my bosses thought that I was eating. Like, you have to eat. You're so skinny. You're so skinny, like a skeleton. So I wouldn't swallow food. And then um, after my lunch, I would try to throw up just in case I had a little morsel of food that went in my body. Um, so I had obsessive thoughts, like night and day about food, like night and day obsessive thoughts. Um, and I remember one time I was walking home, like rum raisin ice cream, rum raisin ice cream, rum raisin ice cream, like 150 times, rum raisin ice cream, like the obsessive compulsive behavior was sick. And I think well, that actual day, I allowed myself to eat eight raisins that day. So that's what I would allow myself a day to eat at one point. It's just like eight raisins. Um, I don't know why I'm alive today. It's an absolute miracle. Um, you know, and when I got home from work, my friends would knock on the door. I wouldn't answer. They'd call me on the phone. I wouldn't answer. Um, and they'd see me crawling on the floor because, I, I mean, obviously they'd say, we can see you, Terry. We know you're home. And I, I just wouldn't. Um, you know, and then at the end of the day, I would just write a letter to God saying, please let me die, God. Please let me die. I'm so fat, God. Please let me die. I can't make it till tomorrow. Please let me die over and over and over again. Um, so as I mentioned when I was anorexic, um, I, during my lunchtime, I used to steal as well. I used to go steal. This is before I got my sandwich. I used to steal clothes, pocketbooks, wallets, and, uh, and I got caught. And I had to go to, uh, you know, to court. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of anorexics steal. And I, what I did was a lot of research. I went in front of the judge and I said, because anorexics electrolytes are so off, they don't think straight when they're that thin. Their head just doesn't think straight. And I convinced the judge to let me off. But it's true. Like I meet people that are anorexic and they're like 60, 70 pounds. They cannot think straight. So that's why when people say, you know, can you sponsor me or teach me the big book until like you are at a normal average weight where you can think straight. Otherwise, you really wouldn't get anything out of it. Um, so that's like an important thing that I, I have found. Then came that horrible day. My mother said she's coming over to go for a walk. And I'm like, OK, if you're going to walk, you can, you know, that's the only thing I would do with any anybody came over, I opened the door and there was like nine or 10 of my friends, relatives standing there saying, we're committing you to um, an eating disorder place. Um, I freaked out and I said, I can't go. There's no way I'll gain weight. I promise I'll gain weight. They had me step on the scale. I was still 70-ish pounds. So I promised I'd do something. So being anorexic was really horrible, but you know what? It really, at the time, it wasn't bad at all because I didn't think anything was wrong with me. Honest, I thought nothing was wrong with me except I was fat. So I just went about my day thinking I was fat and wanted to die and asked God every day for me to die. You know, and then the horror of the gates of hell came when I became bulimic. And I don't wish this on anyone. I would throw up, I'd have throw up in my hair, on my clothes, in my car, on my boots. I would throw up in any disgusting toilet. And when I bring my clothes to the dry clean, I'm like, oh, my daughter did this. She's an infant. And I don't have kids. I couldn't stay at any events I went to um, because I'd pick something up and put it in my mouth and have to leave and go on a five, six hour binge. I could not have just one. Um, I'd have to be like 20, 30, 40 of these like sweet things. So when I was bulimic, I ate $130 worth of food a day. Um, I became my, 
began my shopping list in the morning. And, you know, like even one of the things I would buy was like a graduation cake, like a big, huge, that was in my eating of every single day. And I used to have them write happy birthday, Terry on it. So I have to go like 18 different supermarkets. So they didn't think I was crazy having a birthday, but the massive amounts of food I ate, $130 worth. I would eat it and throw it up and eat it and throw it up. I'd go into like one of the ice cream stores and I'd have a pad of paper and I'd say, okay, um, Sarah would like to have three scoops of that and uh, that kind of topping. And uh, Martha would like, and I'd order like these massive sundays, like five or six, and they're all for me. Like the lying and the deceit and this, it was just horrible. Um, and then when I was ready to throw up, it was at four o'clock every single day. That was the trigger time. Everything was set up perfectly in my house, all over the stove, the counters, the kitchen floor, everything was set up and I would eat and throw up till around one in the morning. And then what I would do is I would be like, okay, I'm gonna put Windex on this and Clorox on this because after throwing up 12, 15 times, I cannot, can't do this anymore. I was exhausted. And I'd go out and put the food in the dumpster and be like, oh, thank God. I'd go right back into that dumpster like five minutes later and I'd eat it with the Clorox on it, with the Windex on it. I didn't care, you know, I just ate it. I don't, I was just, I would eat anything, anywhere, anytime. It was disgusting. Um, and you know, this is where I thought I could control everything, you know, and as it talks about um, in the book on page five, if we go there. Hold on. It says, okay, I went on endlessly. I began to wake very early in the morning, shaking violently. Nonetheless, I thought I could control the situation. I could control the situation. I thought I could control everything. And, you know, but so what happened was the reason I wanted to get well is because food controlled my life. I had no control of the food. I had no control. Food controlled my life. My bulimia was the gates of hell. Um, and, you know, we talk about step one and, you know, most people, when they think about step one, think about I'm powerless over food, but there's two parts to step one. I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. Okay. My life was so unmanageable. I got fired from my job. I was getting kicked out of my house. They shut off my heat. They were repossessing my car. Um, yeah, I, I threw away all my friends, as I mentioned earlier. I wouldn't talk to anyone. I was like just an isolating, like lonely. It was horrible. Um, and the big book talks about the bedevilments and um, I was in so much pain. So there's really actually 12 negatives in the book. I think the first four are called the horsemen. They are on page 151 and they are terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. And if we go to page 52 in the big book, this is where we will find, hold on, on page, let me get there. 52, we find the bedevilments, okay? And there's eight of those. So let's go through those. Were we having trouble with personal relationships? Yes. We're, we couldn't control our emotional natures? Nope. We were prey to misery and depression? Oh, yeah. We couldn't make a living? You got it. We had a feeling of uselessness? I was nothing. I was no good. Full of fear? Always. Were we unhappy? Oh, yeah. We couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. It was not the, the basic solution of these developments. Yeah, I was in them. I lived them. Everybody talked behind my back, like, is she dying of cancer? Like, what's wrong with her? Um, you know, my eyes are really pretty blue. 
if I may say so. <laughs> but if you looked at them, they used to be black. I mean, I would walk around like I was dead. You would just look black into my soul. I was so lonely and in so much pain. And I just wanted someone to love me. You know, and they talk about in the big book on page eight. That's five minutes, Terry. Thank you. No words can tell the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Yeah, food was my master. There was no question. So I went to an OA meeting. My sister took me to one. I went and cried, went and cried, went and cried. And um, I finally did get into eating disorder clinic, a really famous one. And I was there 10 minutes. You know why? Because I was too sick to be in eating disorder clinic. I went there within the first five minutes, they took my vitals and I was going to have a heart attack. So they rushed me to the hospital. So I was too sick to be in an eating disorder clinic. So this is where I just gave up. I said, my way is not working. I'm powerless over food. I'm, I'm powerless. Someone grabbed my hand at a meeting and said, you're going to be my sponsor. No dating. I had college classes on Tuesday. Uh-uh, you're not taking those because it's a meeting night. No restaurants. Um, and I will share with you, my first meal was on Christmas morning, and I had two eggs, a banana, and wheat germ, and it almost took me like an hour to eat that. The horror, the horror of me to eat food was unexplainable, unexplainable for me to eat food. And you know what? I just trusted and I relied on God. I just had to do it. Something made me eat. So I'm going to tell you why I ate, okay? Because my father was in prison. He died when I was nine. And my mother hated me. She told me I was stupid. Don't go to college. No one's going to take you. Um, and if I did anything good, I'd get punished for it. So that's why I ate. But that's not really why. So why is the reason I'm eating? So because all human beings have emotions, okay? We have anger. We have guilt, fear, shame, regret. Um, and when our emotions build up, what's the first thing I grab for ease and comfort for that effect? I grab food. That is my ease and comfort to get the effect. Other people, they go jogging or whatever. But for me, it's the food. And that gives me that seven second, oh, that effect. But food is not the problem. Food is a solution to the problem. So what is the problem? I have an allergy of the body and a mental obsession of the mind or a mental twist. And it tells us, Dr. Silkworth tells us right in the chapters here. So I went, this saved my life. I went, I have an allergy. I'm not stupid. I'm not dumb. I'm not to blame for this, this, this awful thing that's happening to me. It took a thousand pounds off my shoulders. I'm not stupid. It's not my fault. I'm not dumb. And that was a miracle. So the problem is I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. The solution is to find a power greater than myself. And how do I get there? By following the big books, instructions. The big book is an instruction manual. It's not, you just follow it specifically. It's not like a story, it's an instruction manual. But you know what? What really I couldn't understand about it was, you know, like my friend was 300 pounds. I'm like, why doesn't he just stop eating? My other friend was like, his my husband's friend was 600 pounds. I'm like, what's the matter with him? Why can't he stop eating? Like, I don't get it. But it's not that he doesn't want to, he doesn't have the power to do it by himself. So that's the problem is that, God gives us the solution. When we study the 12 steps, have a spiritual experience or spiritual um, white light experience, wherever it may be, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's quick, we get restored to sanity. You know, like today, I live a life of 
such joy. And you know what? The obsession's been lifted from me to think about food 24 hours a day. I don't think about food at all. You know why? Because I trust and rely on God. I've been through those steps and I've had a spiritual experience. And what an amazing life that I have. I, I was always, you know, like ashamed of having an eating disorder, you know. But one of the things, too, a lot of people have problems with, and this, this meeting is called Choose a Conception, Choose Your Own Conception of God. Well, you know what? My mother's conception was, I don't believe in God. Here you go to church every Sunday, drop me off. My grandmother's conception was, God is everything in the world. So what is Terry's conception? And the book talks about peeling back that onion. What is my conception? I have a loving, caring God. Not what my mother says and not what my grandmother says, but I have to choose my own conception of God. And that's what the title of this, this meeting is. And, you know, there's so much my life has changed. You know, I used to eat the food to fill that black hole in my heart. That's time, and, Terry. Thank you. Well, I'll just wrap up by saying, you know, what is my purpose today? You know, my purpose is to be of maximum service to God and to walk in the sunlight of the spirit and to carry this message. Today, I have no teeth up here. I have no bottom teeth, no top teeth. Um, I couldn't have kids because I lost my period. I can't digest food. So it's important that we spread the word, whether it be anorexic, bulimic, or overweight. But you know what? This program is remarkable. And don't leave until the miracle happens. Thank you for having me. Terry, mm. you got me tapping the counter, girl. Thank you. All right. We will now open the meeting for questions or three-minute shares, as this is a big book study. Sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter. Oh, sorry. Chapter or step being studied this week, we ask you ex accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, you can raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone, and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Francesca, can you please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up if the speaker is asked a question. Please allow three minutes for their answer. Okay, so first up we have Emily B. Hi. Um... Man, Terry, that was so good. I, I related to so much of it. And I, I didn't realize this till the other day, but I used to eat dog cookies when I was a kid. It's I totally forgot, totally forgot. And that popped up the other day. And I'm I'm bulimic. And and I can tell you, like you said, that is um it's a different kind of hell for people that don't understand. hundred dollars, easy, easy. I mean, I'll spend four or five hundred dollars in three days on food just to it's, a, it's like you said, it's a cycle till your body is just exhausted and like your heart hurts and you can't breathe. And it's so painful. It's so painful, but you can't stop. Um, and just like what you said about the embarrassing story, I, at one point um, I had this woman take me in. I, I just needed a place to stay and my family life wasn't good. And so I would leave sometimes in the evenings to like to drive around and I would get my food. And I, of course I couldn't keep it. So there was a church parking lot that I would throw up in. And I did it so much. They hired a security guard because they wanted to know who's doing it. And they caught me and I was humiliated. And of course, rather that I just like tried to put on the tears and like, you know, manipulation to feel bad for me. So he'd let me go. I didn't give a shit though. Excuse me. I was just wanting to get out of there. Like did not care. I just knew that I needed to find a new place. So like that horror, I can't, 
share with anybody, you know? So I just related so much to that and just be able to hear someone else and have no judgment. It's like, it gives me the freedom to talk about what I've done, you know, cause it's my secrets keep me sick. And, um, I'm working through some step two stuff right now, just to really figure out what that higher power is, you know, painful one growing up. Um, but I still rely on myself a lot, you know, and it gets better. Um, and I'm learning that like God is loving and how to trust people. And I just want to thank you. Like, I really just came on here just to thank you so much for your honesty. It's like, I'm so, I have so much fear to share stuff. I was, I'm just full of it, just full of it. And just to hear you, like, gives me courage that like, I can do that one day or just show up in front of these people. So I just want to say, thank you so much. That'll pass. Emily, thank you so much. I'm going to put my number in the chat. Please call me. I love step two. Okay. Okay, next we have Eileen. Hi, I'm Eileen, compulsive overeater. Um, good to see everybody tonight. Thank you, everyone who is being of service. Um, you're, everyone's so brave who's of service. I figured I'm just going to start volunteering to read. <laughs> so see where that takes me. Um, Thank you, Terry, so much for your lead tonight. Um, I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability. Um, I opened up uh, the big book tonight and I just, when I went to Bill's story, I just read this first, this line that I had underlined and starred from whenever. Uh, I must turn in all things to the father of light who presides over us all. And it really spoke to me tonight, uh, today. Yeah, tonight. Um, and, you know, I've been really working on surrender a lot lately, the, the power of surrender and acceptance. And I've been like setting my timer at work, you know, like all those things that we, you know, to try and remember that when you're, when we're in the, when I'm in the midst of everything to, you know, turn over to God, how am I reaching out to my higher power? All those things when I, it's so for me in the morning, I have my whole routine. And then, you know, I come here and I feel like I'm getting the spiritual connection, but during the day when everything is going on, am I really pausing and all those things? And, and as I'm sitting here and I'm reading that, and for me, you know, I, my spirituality is really, there's so much connection when I, when I'm connecting with people at work and, and I'm connecting with family, you know, like really connecting, like I feel that is my light, you know, that is the, my light, like that's the light, that's the, that's the, um, all things, the father of light who presides in it, over all of us. And I just, it like, it was like a, it was like somebody saying, Eileen, like every time you're sitting with somebody, every time you're asking, you know, that whole like being of service thing, but it just, it was just, um, it was like, I heard Eileen, you're, you're okay doing what you're doing right now. And when you're sitting with, like I had, I work at a school and I had kids in my office today and they were like, you know, people were like, shouldn't they be in class? I'm like, no, they just want to talk. And, and it was just so nice, like to have that experience with them. And, you know, my family's going through stuff and I get to be there for them. And I had so much gratitude this morning when I woke up because I'm back in program and to be back in program, to be back in program and even have all of this, to be awakened, to be reading this, to be awakened to this feeling again is, is such a gift, it's such a gift. So um, for me, 
when I read like, I mean, you, you know, I could take, I must turn on all things to the father of light who presides, you know, I could take that in so many ways, but I'm like, you know, for me, it's like the light, you know, Don't reminder. Thank it's you so much. I'm just, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful. Okay. Okay, thank you. Next we have Ian F. Hello, Ian. <laughs> hey, y'all. This is Ian F, compulsive overeater. Oh, man. Terry, I don't think I've ever related to a share more. <laughs> um, I, I mean that very seriously. I'm going to try to stay coherent. Um, so, so many things uh, that I heard, the, the, the over-exercise for me, I used to run three miles every day and walk another three. Um, the, the chewing and spitting, the, 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 the laxatives, man, I, the only like funny food log I ever have, and I'm so grateful that I can laugh about this now, is that I not only number two on myself in public, I number two on myself in public on stage during the show. Um, and I think that's funny now, but I remember being in that place of like, I, I would, I would be eating these things that are, that are just absolutely abusive and poisonous and corrosive to my body and doing everything I could to get them out. And, you know, I remember thinking I'm powerless over this. Like I see myself doing this and I don't want to, but I'm doing it anyway. I remember, and I knew that, um, and I, and I knew that I was in pain, but I didn't know what to do until I talked to someone who was in this program. And, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't see someone who was like, who was super, super thin or who looked really good or who, you know, had this fantastic story. I just, just like, I didn't even see him. I didn't even see my sponsor actually. I just I just heard her voice first. And it was like there was this peace. Mm. And that's what I never had. Is I never had peace. And that's what I was looking for. And I can never find it in, in controlling or running or whatever. Um and so it wasn't just enough to like to know that I had, that I was powerless. I knew I was powerless the whole time. That's why I felt so bad. <laughs> That's why I was doing it, you know? Um, but I had, there was, there was, there was, there was action in this program that I got to do um, to get to that piece that I wanted. Um, and I'm so grateful to, to have that today. Um, the only time I think about food now is when I'm making it, <laughs> you know, aside from that, it's just like, whoop. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world is that I have that piece. Um, that's what I've got. Thank you all so much. I'll pass. Thank you, Ian, for being here. Thank you. Okay, next we have Amy L. Hi, everyone. Uh, Amy here. I recovered compulsive eater, exercise bulimic, and Rob, I'm sorry, Rob, Terry, <laughs> thank you so much. Sorry, I was chatting this one before. But what, I mean, the honesty and the, the way you showed the brutality of this disease, I mean, it's funny, you know, I remember when, I, because I have a lot of your story from my youth. I mean, I've had 
obesity, but I've also had anorexia and different kinds of bulimia. And, you know, I, it's, I remember being in rooms where the big book was read and people would, we would read the stories in the back and people would say, well, I don't relate to this person in the gutter. You know, I don't relate to this person in jail, but that's the thing. I mean, we all have our pain and I think the pain that you described, and I think everyone in this, these squares has felt is a pain, it's painful. And I remember being in the pharmacy and crapping in my pants. And I remember blacking out and praying, you know, God, please, if you get me through this, I'll eat breakfast. And what I love about Bill's story is because we see that in him. And as we read it, as we follow along, we think this time he's gonna get it. This time he's gonna surrender, but no. And then we see when, you know, he meets the doctor and he gets this, wow, I understand, you know, the allergy of the body, the twist of the mind, I have self-knowledge. We think, well, maybe yes, but no. And that's the cunning, baffling part of it. And the other part that I, my favorite part of the book, of the, of the Bill story is when we see Bill in his apartment, he's the lone wolf and he's drinking and he's drinking and there are bottles all over and his Ebby shows up. And what I love about this, which to me is the, the, the amazing spiritual part of this program is that you know, he, I know a lot of people say you have to have two days clean, but here's Bill, he's drinking, he's hoping this man will join him. And yet he sees light. He sees that light in this man's eyes and he sees himself. And for a moment he thinks maybe, but then he gets stuck again. He thinks, you know, but I don't believe in that God. And then Ebby says, well, why not choose your own conception? And again, like he goes in, in that, that, that indescribable reminder. Sarah finished. He, something changes, some, he is changed. And so I love that we all, every single one of us, I don't care if you're binging, restricting, relapse, this moment holds that possibility when we connect to one another. So thank you all for being here. Thank you. Okay, next we have Maggie M. Hi, this is Maggie M, Recovered Compulsive Eater in California. Terry, oh my gosh, thank you so much for your beautiful share. Um, I've never related so much to somebody um, who is anorexic and bulimic. Um, and I want to share that I had kind of um, written off um, anorexia and bulimia um, because I could never figure out how to throw up. And um, because for me, um, the food called. So I thought that anorexics and me, like we were just not the same, but hearing your story today, um, I hear the same pain, um, the dishonesty, um, and just 
the misery that I felt in active addiction. Um, and I really needed to hear it because for a long time, I wished that I was, I thought like anorexia was the glamorous version of the disease. Um, and nothing I heard today was glamorous. Um, I've been a person who, um, rather than tell people that I'm a compulsive eater, I've lied and said that um, I'm an alcoholic and I'm not an alcoholic, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and today um, as a recovered woman, I'm working on um, owning what my story is because the fact of the matter is compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic, alcoholic, none of it is glamorous and all of it is painful, um, so painful. And I'm grateful that I don't have to live in that excruciating pain today. Um, I wanted to share like a recovery miracle. I had my first job interview since getting recovered and I didn't have to lie today. Um, they asked me um, what my long-term goals are and that question scares the shit out of me. Um, I don't know how to answer it. And I didn't feel compelled to make up a good sounding answer on the spot. Um, and I didn't have an answer. I don't know what my long-term goals are other than to be of maximum service. Um, so my higher power carried me through that moment. Um, and I'm just incredibly grateful to this program um, and to this for this new part of my program that is uncomfortable and challenging in its own way. So Terry, if I could actually ask a question you mentioned that when you sponsor um, something about how um, when their body weight is so low, like they're, they're, they don't have the brain capacity um, um, to focus on the steps. So um, I wanted to ask, my sponsor once said to me that she doesn't sponsor anorexics because she doesn't understand anorexia. And I thought, oh, you know what? That makes sense to me. So I guess I'll never do that either. Um, so I wanted to ask, like, do you recommend that um, compulsive eaters only sponsor compulsive eaters, anorexics only sponsor anorexics and bulimics? Um, or is it okay for people to sponsor people with different manifestations of, of the spiritual malady? Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. That's a, a phenomenal question. I, you know what? The solution is the same, whether we're 60 pounds or 5,000 pounds. Um, the only thing, so what I was talking about with anorexics being that thing, like thin, like I used to think God just told me to steal my neighbor's jewelry. Like that's, I thought that was really true. Like I, my neighbor had passed away and I was watching her house. I'm like, you know what, God, yeah, I will go up and steal that jewelry because I know that's what you want me to do. Like I was so thin. My brain just doesn't work. So I have no nutrients. I, I mean, I can't think straight. So what I mean by being so thin and you can't think straight, like if you tell me about the big book, I'd be like, well, what's that? Like I would have no conception of what that meant because I couldn't think or, or process a thought properly. So um, I sponsor a lot of anorexics and beliefs, but I also sponsor a lot of um, women that need to lose weight because the solution is the same. However, um, anorexics, they lie, they manipulate very easily. And that's something you do have to know when you're sponsoring beliefs and anorexics. So they lie constantly. So you have to be pretty vigilant to know about be honest with me because I want you to be honest with me. I can't help you unless you're honest with me. But again, the solution is the same. It was a great question. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording so we can have some uh, 